But today we're continuing our message series, which is called Biblical Parenting. And in this series, we're looking at God's Word to discover principles that will help us raise children who are disciples of Jesus Christ. And many of these same principles can be applied to discipling believers, so they become mature in their faith. And I uh, want have you think about that as well, but uh, we won't be able to to explain how all of these things apply to discipling believers. We're going to focus on actually parenting physical children. But this morning, a message is entitled, Strong Marriages. If, if we want to raise children who are followers of Jesus Christ, then we need a strong, godly marriage as the foundation of our homes. And so let's begin this morning by looking at what Jesus had to say about marriage. On your bulletins in the white page is a, uh, is a white page with the scriptures written out and the outline. On the back are study questions that you can use in your own personal study. And also uh, many of the life groups are using those questions to direct discussion. So let's see what Jesus said in Matthew 19. It said, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Of course, this is a popular wedding scripture, uh, but there's a lot, lot of truth packed in to what Jesus said here in a very condensed form. Jesus say, is saying here that in the beginning, God created two and only two kinds of people. It was Adam and Eve. He created them male and female. And the same remains true today. Well, there seems to be a lot of confusion in our media today, but uh, to set the record straight, there are only two genders, male and female. And uh, everyone is either one or the other. You can be confused about your gender, but you are one or the other in God's eyes, and you should be in your own eyes. And so marriage is when a, a man and a woman make a lifelong commitment to one another. In marriage, a man and a woman become one flesh. We're going to talk more about that through the consummation of the marriage. It says here, Jesus says here that God is involved in marriage. You notice that? Whom God joined together. God is involved in joining a man and woman together in marriage. And he says here that man should not separate or the marriage bond should not be broken. It's to be a lifelong commitment. And so marriage was ordained by God as the foundation of the family. The family is the building block for society. If we have strong marriages and strong families, society is going to be strong. If, if uh, marriages are disintegrating, we have weak marriages, society is going to uh, be to the detriment as well. Strong, godly marriages are essential for the well-being of men, women, families, and children in our society as a whole. And yet today we see marriages under attack on many fronts in today's culture. Uh, besides the attack on the very definition of marriage, which we're not going to get into today, divorce has grown to the point where around 50% of marriages end in divorce. And so obviously divorce is a violation of this lifelong commitment of marriage, and it has devastating and lifelong impact on the children involved. Children of divorced parents have decreased school grades, 
uh, increased rates of crime, increased rates of substance addiction, increased rates of sexual promiscuity, suicide, and emotional problems. The children of divorced parents have greatly increased rates of divorce in their marriages. If parents are divorced, the odds of the children being divorced is greatly increased. And so divorce is certainly not God's best. Now, we don't, won't have time to get into their certain circumstances where divorce is permissible uh, when a party has broken the bond of marriage already. Children of uh, another attack on marriage is cohabitation, living together before marriage. It's thought to be a good idea by about 65% of American adults today. That's at an all-time high. Uh, cohabitation is being sexually involved with your partner without the commitment of marriage. And the Bible teaches that cohabitation is sin and the results are disastrous. The future divorce rate of couples who cohabit is 50 to 80% greater than those who don't. Now, the, the conventional wisdom is if you, we're just living together to see if it's going to work out. But when you live together to see if it's going to work out, you decrease the odds of that of those two people actually having a, a, a lifelong marriage. Cohabitation leads to increased rates of domestic violence, sexual affairs, and if, one of the, if the woman becomes pregnant, the odds of the man leaving the uh, arrangement is very high. And so those are two things that are sin, that are wrong, and are not part of God's ingredients for a strong marriage. So what are the ingredients for a strong marriage? 2 Corinthians 6.4 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And so the first ingredient in a strong marriage is that both husband and wife need to be believers in Jesus Christ. Both partners need to be believers in Jesus Christ. The second ingredient in a strong marriage is that both spouses are involved in the same Bible-believing church. And you're surrounded by other believers that help strengthen and support the marriage. The third ingredient is that both spouses are growing in their knowledge and application of God's word. They're seeking to grow in God. It's not just like they were, I was saved when I was a kid and now I'm going on with my life. I'm seeking, they're seeking to grow in God. And when those three ingredients are in place, both spouses are believers. They're part of the same Bible-believing church and they're growing in God. You're going to have a strong marriage. And when you have a strong marriage, it's going to serve as a godly foundation to raise godly children who will in turn have strong marriages when they grow up. And so just as we've been talking about the sins of parents are passed down to future generations, oftentimes so the godliness of parents can be passed down to future generations. And so this morning we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about God's design. We're going beyond just what I told you, the three ingredients of a strong marriage. We're going to go beyond that to God's design within a marriage uh, that's shown for us in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at some principles here. I'm going to warn you that these principles go against what today's culture teaches. All right, so... But this is what the Bible says. Number one, uh, wives are to submit to their husbands. The passage in Ephesians chapter 5 begins with this, so I begin with it. It says, wives, submit to your husbands 
as to the Lord. Now, God has established three institutions in society. Uh, the first is the family, the second is the church, and the third is government. They're all established by God. These things didn't just happen. God created them and established them. And in each of these institutions, God's word instructs believers to submit to the authorities that God has established in these three institutions. We're to submit to the authority in the government. We're to submit to leaders in the church. And there's authority established within a family. We're going to talk about that today, at least with respect to the husband and wife. Now, of course, there's authority with respect to the children, right? Children are to obey their parents. They're to, to uh, be in submission to the authority of their parents. So in marriage then, between the husband and wife, the wife is to submit to or to be under the authority of her husband. Now it says, as to the Lord. And so that means that the husband should be leading his family in the ways of the Lord. And the wife uh, submits to that. A godly wife would desire to follow God's plans. If the husband is leading in God's way, she would desire to follow in those plans. Now in every example of submission whether it's to government, whether it's to church leaders or a wife to a husband or even children to parents, God's word makes clear that we only submit to an earthly authority when it does not contradict God's instructions. And so if authority tells you to do something that's contrary to God's word, something that's sin, you need to obey God and not the earthly authority. So the authority uh, is only an authority so far as it is directing people to do righteous, godly things. If the government tells us to do something contrary to God's word, we're not obligated to obey that. And there might be a penalty for not doing it, but we are to obey God rather than man. The same is true in marriage. And so the wives submit to the husbands because the husband is the head of the wife. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so as we go on in this passage, we see that the relationship between husband and wife in marriage is an example of the relationship of Christ to the church. Now, in this analogy or in this example, the wife represents the church, often referred to as the bride of Christ, and the husband represents Christ. And we're going to talk more about the husband in the next point. The church obviously is submission to Christ. Christ is the head of the church. The church is his body and he's the head. That's the picture that God gives us of the church. And in the same way, wives should submit to their husbands who is the head of the marriage. Now the very last verse in this passage helps us understand, better understand submission. It says that wives are to respect their husbands. Verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, when a wife respects her husband, respects what he has to say, she's going to listen to him. She's going to follow his direction for the family. And sometimes people say, well, I, you know, I don't want to do that. I, I want to do my own thing. Let's think about that for a minute. There, there are not two directions for the family, the wife's direction and the husband's direction in God's eyes. There's God's direction for the family. There's only one direction for the family. And the husband and wife 
godly husbands and wives want to find and follow God's direction. There's only one direction. And so the wife needs to submit to the husband's direction as he leads the family in the godly direction. And so God's going to communicate that direction to the husband and wife. And when the husband says, I'm going to go this way, and the wife says, hey, yeah, that's right. That's what God's telling us to do. That's pretty easy to submit, isn't it? Because you want to do the same thing. You want to please God together. Now, as we'll see, the husband also has obligations, and the husband needs to live worthy of the wife's respect as well. And so this morning as we go through this, I'm just going to assume that both husband and wife are believers. They're seeking to follow God's plan for their marriage and family together. I realize there's uh, many cases today where one of the spouses is not a believer. They're not seeking to follow God's plan, and God will help you in that. We don't have time to look at all those other cases this morning. But in God's plan, as we talked about, everyone is in submission to authority. It's not just the wife to the husband. Not only is the wife to be in submission to the husband, the wife is in submission to the Lord. The husband is in submission to the Lord. Both are in submission to the authorities in the government. Both are in, should be in submission to the leaders in the church. Now, one example that I like to use to illustrate, especially in marriage counseling, the, re the relationship between husband and wife and the Lord is a triangle. You see, God is a partner in marriage. God joins husband and wife together. So marriage is really, Scripture talks about a threefold cord. It's, it's three people are involved in a marriage, God and the husband and wife. So just picture a triangle with me with the point at the top, okay? At the top is the Lord. At the bottom, two vertices of the triangle are the husband and the wife. Now as the husband and wife each get closer to the Lord, what happens to their relationship to one another? They get closer together. And so as husband and wife, if, if one gets, wants to get close to the Lord and the other one lags, what happens? They actually are getting further apart, aren't they? And so God wants both of them to continue growing closer to God. And as you grow closer to God, you're going to grow closer to one another. Now, the submission of the wife to the husband is important because it also serves as an example to the children. The children, I mean, the Bible teaches that children are to be under their parents' authority. And as they see the wife submitting to the husband and the marriage in proper authority, they're going to be uh, motivated to submit to both of their parents' authority. It's pretty hard for a child to submit to parents' authority if, if mom and dad are on two different pages with each other and with respect to their discipline of the children. I mean, it's just going to be a very confused, chaotic home. And so children of strong marriages with biblical authority in place are going to learn those principles of authority. They're going to learn both as children and obeying their parents, and that's going to serve them later in their own marriages and their relationship to the church authority, their relationship to government authority as well. So the first principle is wives submit to your husband. Second principle is husbands are to love their wives. And so God's word doesn't stop. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives. And it doesn't stop here with instructing wives. It moves on to instructing husbands. And there's even more space 
and more details given to the husbands, because we need more help, uh, than to the wives. And so husbands are to love their wives. To me, the instructions for the husband is a lot harder than the instructions for the wife. But, you know, you may think differently, but um, husbands are to love their wives, and the Bible goes on here to show what that means. And it's not really very easy. Uh, we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That's a pretty tough example to follow, uh, is it not? It says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did he do that? Well, he came from a perfect place. He came to a sinful earth because he loved the church so much that he allowed himself to be crucified and die on the cross that he might have that the church might have her sins forgiven, that she would become the bride of Christ, that he could meet the greatest need that each of us has, the need for forgiveness and holiness. And in the same way, husbands are to show their love for their wife as they meet her needs, as they lay down their lives, as they sacrifice themselves so that their wives can be everything that God called them to be. The end result for Christ in verse 27 with respect to the church we don't have time to look at all the verses was so that he could present the church to himself that's why he died on the cross so that their sins the sins of the church might be forgiven each person in the church he could present the church to himself in splendor as the bride of Christ beautiful without any blemish without any spot in perfect holiness shining for eternity And again, just an aside, as this is totally off topic, but the church, you know, as the bride of Christ, it says here he died for the church. You see, the church is extremely important. It's not just he died for individual believers. He died for the church. And for somebody to claim to be a believer, not be part of the church, makes absolutely no sense biblically. You have to be part of this bride of Christ. Anyhow, back to marriages. And so as a husband loves his wife in the same way as Christ loved the church, his wife is going to prosper, his wife is going to shine, his wife is going to become everything that God wants her to be. And so husbands are to love their wives as themselves. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And what's that all about? Well, you remember that Jesus said the husband and wife are one flesh. That's not just talking about sexual relationships, it, although that is part of it. it. There's something mysterious happens, something spiritual happens where a husband and wife become one flesh. I don't totally understand it. Paul speaks of it as kind of a mystery. But God sees husband and wife as, as one, as one body. And that's why divorce is so terrible, because it's, it's tearing one flesh apart. In fact, that's why sexual immorality is so, so devastating. God's Word talks about it. If you join yourself to a prostitute, you become one flesh with her. Okay? And you've broken your relationship with your wife. That's why adultery is so, so devastating. And so this verse is saying that since husband and wife are one flesh, a husband should love his wife as he loves himself. 
for they're not separate but united. You know, my hand is part of my body. Uh, if I don't take care of my hand, if I let it, a finger get cut off, that's going to affect my whole body, right? And so I take care of my hand because it's part of my body. It's one flesh with me. In the same way, we need to take care of our wives. We need to love our wives as ourselves because we really are loving ourselves because we're one. We're united together. A husband that doesn't love his wife in this way is bringing harm to himself if he doesn't love his wife as himself. And so that this is the greatest responsibility, the greatest challenge for every husband to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, you think it's difficult or easy for a wife to submit to such a husband? That would be easy. You would just have the perfect husband. Now, of course, there are no perfect marriages. I don't have a perfect marriage. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, we're all on a journey. There are no perfectly submissive wives, and there are no perfectly loving husbands. And we shouldn't use uh, the, uh, you know, the wife shouldn't say to the husband, when you love me, as Christ loved the church, then I'm going to submit to you. And the husband shouldn't say to the wife, when you submit to you, me, then I'm going to love you as Christ loved the church. You both work on yourself, okay? You do the best you can at what God tells you to do, the wives in submission, the husbands in, in loving, loving their wives, and God is going to work in your marriage. When both husbands and wives have the same godly goals that we're talking about, and they're working on them together, they're going to see God's blessing on their family. Now, what is the result of walking in God's design for marriage on the children in a family? Well, the children are going to see the parents' example, an example of submission, an example of love, example of faithfulness. And they're going to learn to put that into practice in their own lives and in their future marriages. Now, God's design for marriage is really diametrically opposed to what our society teaches. And what I'm saying today is not politically correct. And that, we're not going to go into that all. You know what I'm talking about. But yet, following God's plan leads to blessing on both parents and children. Following our culture's plan is going to lead to broken marriages, or does lead to broken marriages and damaged children. Marriage, God's Word says, should reflect... Christ in the church. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. Uh, Paul's instructions about marriage uh, is, is for our physical marriages, but it also refers to Christ in the church. It's, it's, it's mysterious that human marriage refers to Christ in the church. So marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, and Christ in the church is an example for our marriages. So we look at Christ in the church as the perfect example for us to strive for in our marriages. Now, unbelievers and our children, they, they may not understand the relationship between Christ and the church. They're going to see the example of our marriages. And strong, godly marriages will draw people to Christ. It's Something, if somebody sees a strong, godly marriage, they're going to say, that's a good thing. 
you know, I want to have my life like that. I want to see my marriage. I want to see my life blessed in that way. Part of the mystery of marriage, as we talked about it already, is that marriage makes two people one flesh. Verse 31, the Word of God quotes, Paul quotes what Jesus said, which quotes what was said in the book of Genesis. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now the Greek word for hold fast means to be joined together, to be devoted to, might even mean to be glued together. In marriage, the two spouses become one flesh. And so it's, it's, a, it's a deep mystery. And as I said before, getting ahead of myself, that's one of the reasons that sexual behavior outside of marriage is so damaging. Uh, it causes two people to become one flesh. There's no commitment. And then that is broken, oftentimes in people's lives over and over again. And that leads to fragmented souls, great emotional damage. The purpose of oneness in marriage is because marriage is designed to reproduce believers. Going back to Genesis, the first marriage between Adam and Eve, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so in the oneness of marriage, God's design was for families to multiply and reproduce children who would in turn walk with God. I see, there's no great advantage in having a lot of children if, if the children don't walk with God. I mean, some people say, oh, you know, you must have a dozen children and, and they all walk in the ways of the devil. There's, there's no advantage in bringing children into the world and have them walk away from God. The goal of a godly marriage is to reproduce godly children and pass the heritage down for generations. In the same way, the purpose of the church, the bride of Christ, is to have many spiritual children as it's a witness for Jesus. And so strong, godly marriages are a powerful witness. They're a witness, first of all, to the children. The children see what the parents' marriage is like. And secondly, to all who see it. And that witness to the children, you know, continues after the children leave the home. I'm not saying it's all over. When it's, no, the children are still watching you after they leave your home. You know, when they have their own marriages, they're still watching you. And a strong, godly marriage is a witness to your children, even when they've grown up and have marriages and children of their own. Strong marriages display what God's love is like to the children and, and secondly, to everybody who sees it. Strong godly marriages that serve as an example that following God brings blessing to a family. Now, for those of you who are in a marriage with an unbelieving spouse, God will help you raise your children for him as you're connected to the church family. That's the only way you're going to make it. You ha I mean, all of us have to be, but especially if your spouse is not believing, you need to be connected deeply with the church family and pray Pray, pray that your spouse will get saved. As you follow God, as you pray, many, many of the spouses will be eventually saved. And so today we've looked at God's plan for strong marriages as a foundation for parenting. Strong marriages are built between a believing husband and wife submitted to following God together in his church. 
The divine order for families is for a wife to submit to a husband who is loving her as Christ loved the church. And that kind of marriage will enable both husband and wife to raise their children in God's ways. And that type of godly family, that's a result of a strong marriage, will be a powerful witness to unbelievers and lead to spiritual children being born. The children raised in a godly family will be prepared to have strong marriages of their own and raise children who will in turn follow God in the future. And so may God help each of us. We're all on a journey to build stronger marriages as we choose to follow God's word. Well, the foundation for a strong marriage is that both partners be believers. And so how do you become a believer? You become a believer by admitting that you sinned, asking for forgiveness of that sin, believing in Jesus Christ, committing your life to follow Him. Let's bow our heads right now. I just encourage you, if you've not committed your life to Jesus Christ before or you'd like to recommit your life to Him, I'd encourage you to pray along with me something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've not been following your plan for my life. I've been going my own way. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. I believe he rose on the third day and he's alive today and I commit my life to following him as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us clear instructions on how to build a strong marriage that honors you. Forgive us for trying to do things our own way. Forgive us for times we forget what you've told us to do. We thank you for your spirit that gives us the wisdom and the strength to follow your instructions on our marriages. We pray, God, that as our marriages grow stronger, our children will grow stronger in their walk with you as well. And God, we pray that each of the families in the church would be a, a bright light in a dark world that our families and our children would be a witness and draw many more people to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.